All right, so we are here on the all-new, all-awesome podcast with a good friend of the pod, Mr. Adam. Adam, how's it going? It's going real well, Danny. How about you? Good. I never know. Well, I, I don't, some people don't like their last names used. I don't know if you care. Oh, no. The, the world knows all about me by now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, For good or ill. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, Adam is a uh, is a good friend. Uh, we've known each other a long time. Uh, he's also out here in LA. Uh, he does writing among uh, other creative pursuits. Uh, I don't know, Adam. Anything else that you want to plug or say about sort of your background at all? Oh well, I'm a former Army officer. Uh, served in the Army for about eleven years. Uh, came out to LA, became a novelist, a screenwriter, a playwright. I've directed, I've produced, and uh, currently I work for a, an awesome company called School of Motion, which is an online hub for motion designers and VFX artists. Very cool. Um, but uh, I, you know, I wanted to uh, have you on. Because, uh, so I had just recently finished, finally, after playing it for kind of on and off for several months, uh, The Last of Us 2. And I know that you are a big video game guy, uh, and you had played the game. Uh, you were one of the people I knew that had played it and finished it as well. And so I was really curious, like I was just, I had so many thoughts about this game and I was really excited to talk about the game with someone who had played it all the way through because it's really hard to talk about without talking about spoilers. So just to preface, this will be a spoiler uh, podcast and we will get into you know the story and the end of the game. So if you don't want to know any of that, uh, come back for the next one. But for this one, we're going to really get into it with The Last of Us 2. I would say if we bring up a game over the course of this conversation, we're probably going to spoil it, especially if it's one of Naughty Dog's titles. True, true. Although I will stop you if you spoil a game that I have not yet played yet. <laughs> Just immediately ends the podcast. Yeah, and I should I should mention too, um, I mentioned this in my last podcast, but uh, Adam and I had previously uh, recorded a podcast about this. And unfortunately, the audio had a lot of issues, um, so we're hoping this one comes out better. Um, but we are kind of talking about everything again, just for the sake of transparency. I want to let you guys know that. Um, but hopefully, that means that this conversation is even more uh, refined and uh, you know, just uh, really in-depth versus anything we would have done on our first take, I guess. I think so. I think that, if anything, we're coming back into this stronger, more focused, and more prepared than we were before. Yes, I agree. I agree completely. Um, so, with that being said, uh, I just wanted to know, like, what was your sort of uh, baggage that you were bringing into the game when you first went into it? Because I know for me, like, just to quickly kind of talk through it, like, I was a huge fan of the first Last of Us game. To me, it was one of my favorite games ever, and in fact, when I wrote a blog post um, 
you know, in 2019 about my favorite games of the last decade, that was my number one game of the whole decade. It really, to me, was like a landmark video game. And I'm a big fan of like Naughty Dog in general, the developer, uh, was a big fan of the Uncharted franchise. And to me, they're just sort of like the gold standard in terms of mixing uh, storytelling, very cinematic storytelling with really good gameplay. So I could not wait for The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, I think uh, I've been a big fan of Naughty Dog from the get-go. I, um, I remember I got Uncharted. The original Uncharted was the first game that I purchased for my PlayStation 3. And it was, I thought it was just going to be kind of a tech demo. You know, it's new releases uh, and launch titles for consoles. They tend to be uh, really big and splashy, but maybe lacking in gameplay or, or lacking in story. And this was anything but. It was an absolutely stunning game that also had this incredible Romancing the Stone, Indiana Jones type story with who knew the future leading man of most video games, Nolan North. And it yeah. was so good. Everything about it was just incredible. The The graphics were great. The gameplay was great. The storyline was fantastic. The humor, everything. And so I became an instant fan of Naughty Dog. So, you know, years later, you come out with The Last of Us. It's it's a zombie-esque uh, adventure game. And I'm a huge fan of the zombie genre. So I was already very interested. And within the first 10 minutes, this game sets itself apart from pretty much anything I'd ever played before. Not just in, okay, there's better graphics, there's more maturity, more themes, more gore, but the fact that it really made you care for characters so quickly. It was incredible. Yeah. And then everything that followed was almost picture perfect. I, I, we, we, can, we can nitpick things to death. I mean, this, it's always easy to play armchair quarterback, but the team at Naughty Dog, and, and Neil Druckmann did such a marvelous job with the first Last of Us that it has become this milestone in video games as, as a genre, as a, as a storytelling genre, as gameplay, everything. So, yeah, I was bringing all of that into it when I heard Last of Us was coming out and when I finally picked up my copy. Oh, totally. Yeah, you know, you just reminded me of something I'd forgotten about, but it just popped into my head. Of I remember when the first Last of Us game came out, is sort of like a promotional thing. Sony did this like uh, video where they showed Seth Rogen playing through that opening of The Last of Us. And I remember just watching that and being like, "What? this is the coolest thing I've ever seen, but I also need to turn it off because I don't want it spoiled for me. But I remember even like his reaction to playing those opening moments was just like, okay, this is kind of a game changer. And everything that followed, I mean, they they weren't revolutionizing the idea of zombie archetypes and, and you know, you have to deal with different types of creatures uh, or stealth gameplay. All of these things had been established at this point. And I think one thing that Naughty Dog is really, really good at is they're not reinventing the wheel in terms of gameplay. I mean, there are some things they introduce that I haven't really seen before. But for the most part, they're taking ideas that other people have done and just making them fit into their world so that you have this connectivity between what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it, and it makes everything better. When you have all of those things together, that synchronicity, the game elevates and, and it becomes 
special. I mean, when you first played Super Mario Brothers, and it's like, okay, the only attack I have is to jump on things' heads, so the jumping better be, you know, tight as hell. Uh, oh, now I can fire things, so the aim has... I mean, like, there's all these different things that come into it when you're developing a game, and and man, they just, they nailed it. Uh, and I think that's that's what a lot of people were bringing in to The Last of Us 2. People are coming... I mean, it, it, we will spoil... Uh, Last of Us 1 story in a minute, but it was such a tight gameplay experience, and it was such an emotional one that people immediately were like, Ellie is a great video game character, Joel is an iconic video game character, uh, Troy Baker delivered such a, a show-stopping performance, everything about it, so the next one has to carry that tradition and go bigger. And if it doesn't, yeah. we're going to be disappointed because our toxic fandom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's two things with the original Last of Us. One, like, just from a, a pure story perspective, like, yes, we had seen tons of zombie fiction in the years preceding that, and it was by no means, like, a new thing to have a zombie video game or that sort of setting. However, there was a certain tone to the first Last of Us where... I don't know that we had really seen it before of this sort of like, uh, even in this very bleak world, there was still in the midst of it, the focus of the story was all on this one relationship that was this very moving relationship between Ellie and Joel. And it was this weird um, juxtaposition of like these very, this very hopeful and moving story an almost like weirdly optimistic story in a lot of ways of, of Ellie and Joel kind of finding each other um, in that very bleak setting. So the tone of it immediately stood out and I feel like it was copied so much after, not just in games, but in movies and TV shows. I mean, everything from like the God of War uh, game that came out after to uh, so many um, films, things like A Quiet Place and things like that, that clearly were borrowing a little bit from The Last of Us. So, so that was one thing that I thought was like just really groundbreaking about that game. I think that um, there was there was an interesting interview that Corey Barlog, he's the creative director on the God of War series. He was talking about how the the video game that he was working on evolved because he had a a child. He had his first child in the development of the 2018 God of War and that just changed everything. All of a sudden he thought this is the story that needs to be told. This is the character that we need to we need to feel for. And a lot of the game developers that we've grown up with, I mean, Neil Druckmann's been in the game forever. Gabe Newell's been in the game forever. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to date myself by throwing out some you know, 1980s developers, but all of those people yeah. who are like, okay, the coolest thing in the world is a square-jawed hero who blows up demons. And then they go, oh, but what would be more important is if he was working to defend his family or if he's struggling because he's got demons that he can't quite face. More mature game developers, you get games that cover these kinds of topics. And more mature, when we say it, it's not just, oh, the game has sex in it. It's the game covers themes that are very adult. Like, oh, I yeah. don't have enough money for 
you know, to pay for my house. So I have to maybe take some risks that I really don't want to, or, Oh, my estranged brother, who's got a criminal background is coming back into my life. And I'm, I'm screwing thing up, things up with this woman that I've been pursuing for three video games. And now my marriage is falling apart. And Oh, by the way, there's also a sunken city that I have to go investigate. And there may be some genies involved. I mean, like you can do all of the same amazing things while still telling stories that that are affecting and just so good, I, I'm just I'm so impressed by it. Yeah, but you know it's interesting because like uh, Corey Barlog with with God of War, for example, even if he wanted to have made that game the way it was, I don't know if he could have made that game if not for the success of The Last of Us. Because I feel like that opened the door where all of a sudden the idea that like a very nuanced and um, layered sort of story could be also like a triple a blockbuster video game and not just the the territory of like an indie game i think that was pretty groundbreaking i think uh i think you're absolutely right i think a part of that is due to uh is definitely due to the last of us but i think it's also about uh the evolution of the escort quest which is essentially what the last of us was uh, feared to be when it was first coming out. It's like, oh, you have to protect this person. Oh, it's going to be a game that is the worst mission of any game. The escort quest, it's, it's kind of this uh, a common uh, idiom of the industry that escort missions just suck. They're just terrible. And mm-hmm. this flipped it on its ear. And I think a lot of games uh, owe, you know, owe a debt to The Last of Us. I think Bioshock Infinite really demonstrated that you can have a character with you the whole time who is integral to the story, integral to the gameplay, and just works. And Ellie is amazing in in The Last of Us. She becomes not somebody that you feel you have to protect, but somebody you want to protect because she's so good and so useful and so caring and every part of it connects to, to you as a gamer. And I think that's such a great yeah. thing. That was sort of the second point I was going to mention about the, the first Last of Us game is that like to me more than any game ever it had those moments where the gameplay felt completely driven by the story and it wasn't just like okay you're going on a mission then there's a cutscene, then there's a mission like there were sections of that game and i think in particular the ending to the game was sort of that light bulb moment for me where you had like a sense of urgency or you had an emotional investment in that gameplay um, because it was so intertwined with the story moment to moment. Um, And I don't know if I'd ever seen a game do it that well before uh, Last of Us. So like in the ending of that game, you know, spoiler alert, but basically, you know, you're you're playing as Joel and you're trying to get uh, Ellie out of this hospital where they're going to do all these tests on her that on one hand could save civilization because she's immune to the the virus that's going around um, and sort of devastating the earth. Um, But to do, to get that cure, they might have to kill Ellie. And so you as Joel sort of end up having to save her and that whole sequence, you were kind of, your heart is pounding, not just from the gameplay, but because you feel like, okay, I, I am Joel, and I need to save Ellie in this moment. 
there's there's something we talked about on our, our first attempt through this podcast, but yeah. it's a it's a term called ludonarrative dissonance. And just in case anybody listening hasn't really heard it before, it's generally the idea that the gameplay is dissonant, is not connecting to the story. For example, uh, you're it, it really is in like the uncharted games where you're this carefree. A Harrison Ford type who's on this adventure trying to keep his friends safe, but you also murder 10,000 people brutally sometimes. And it kind of, it it, it folds against itself where you're like, okay, well, I don't really feel like that's what the character would do. That's, that's a little weird, uh, but it's a gameplay thing. You can't really get around it. Then you have something like the last of us in the original game. You really kind of feel like it connects. Yeah. Killing monsters, makes sense because they will kill you so your character would do that but also the brutal way you take down the bandits that attack you in ellie or at the very end of the game when you are desperately killing people who should have been your friends because they are going to kill ellie and i think that that's one of the best games to demonstrate how connected the gameplay can be to the story and that's also why I think uh, people have an issue with uh, Last of Us 2, because it does exhibit extreme looter narrative dissonance. So, so I guess just going off of that and, and kind of getting into the, the second game specifically. So the second game, you know, as we know, if you played it, um, and again, spoilers, basically Joel is sort of killed early on in the game. You're playing as Ellie, and you sort of are off on this quest for revenge, and the whole theme of the game becomes Ellie uh, sort of descending into this revenge mode, and this character who you played as in the first game as like a young girl, and is now older and uh, you know much more. Um, bloodthirsty in a way and sort of losing a lot of that innocence from the first game. Um, It's very jarring and it's very disturbing in a lot of ways. And I think almost immediately in Last of Us 2, there is that feeling of like, wow, this is really dark because the character who is sort of the source of hope in the first game is now going to a very dark place. It's not the same like young, innocent uh, Ellie that we that we knew from before. Exactly. And I think to to the developer's credit, I can get the sense of where they were trying to go. They did want you as the as the gamer to go on this journey of you know kind of discovering the truth of revenge. And uh, there's an old idiom that when you go on a mission or a, or a journey of revenge, dig two graves. And I think that that's that's very much the crux of the story in The Last of Us 2. Joel is killed brutally in front of the player in a scene that is it is heartbreaking. It is horrific. It's also masterfully done. The way that the sound design mixes in with the acting, everything about it, it's a really strong scene. Uh, but it, it immediately, you go, okay, every single person in this room that is not Ellie is going to die. Like you just, as a gamer, you're, you're on the journey. You are there. You know you're playing as Ellie. Great. We're going to kill these people. But then as the game goes on and you kind of see how it takes its toll on Ellie, she starts the game as this, you know, a person who doesn't want to kill other people. Even though we saw what happened in, in the first Last of Us game, she goes on this mission really focused on a few people. But there's an army in between her and her objective. And the problem is, I, and this is 
kind of a both a credit and discredit to the developers. They made a game that is so realistic, that is so true to life, that at a certain point you kind of feel bad for everything you're doing, and you you have all of these incredible graphics, and you use them to hurt people. And at a certain point, you don't want to. And you're like, Ellie, what are you doing? But the game is telling you, you have to keep doing this. Even though you are yeah. kind of going, well, and I, I don't think we should anymore. Like, shouldn't we pull back on this? Yeah. And I mean, I do think it's it's that weird thing where, so, you know, certainly The Last of Us 2 overall is trying to comment back on that and, and sort of make you feel the brutality and make you have mixed emotions as a player about it. But I think the other thing that is still a little bit where there's dissonance is like Naughty Dog is really, really good at doing gameplay. And I think actually like an underrated part of this game is that the gameplay is phenomenal. And just like the melee combat is great. And the, the like gunplay is really well done. And so it is fun to play the game and to be like this you know brutal killer as ellie as weird as that sounds to say um because the gameplay is super well done but so i don't know i guess there's always that element of like are they trying to have their cake and eat it too by making it really fun to play in the combat of the game but also sort of telling you at the same time like and yeah, you should kind of feel bad about I it. I think they are. And I, th I think that's something that a lot of gamers yeah. didn't quite get. And I, I shouldn't say a lot. I should say the people who decided to review bomb the game. But there are a lot of people who didn't quite understand what the developers were trying to show you. And I think that once you look at it and you, you take it from their perspective, it's an achievement. It's something remarkable. It's, it's a game unlike any game out there. And it's you start this game with no skills. I mean, they do that. That's that's any uh, action adventure you play nowadays. You start with few skills, and as you progress through the game, you have these RPG elements where you're adding on. Now you can kill faster. Now you can craft more tools. Now you can build weapons that are more durable. So when you first start the game and you grab somebody and you stab them to death, it is horrifying. It is so well done and, and, and you know, well designed and displayed that it's kind of a grotesque moment. But then after you've yeah. upgraded your character, now Ellie is killing people like an assassin and it's brutal. And I think that that's the developer saying this is what her journey is do doing to her. It's not just that she's getting better at it. It's that it has it has cost her something. And that's what the game is really yeah. about. It's about how this quest for revenge is going to cost Ellie everything. And, I mean, it, in the end, it does. Spoiler alerts, Ellie does not come out on top in this. Um, but I think the thing that a lot of people had the biggest problem about is, of course, the halfway twist. Yeah, well, just one thing before we get to that, because you just reminded me of this. I will say on a side note that I guess one issue I do have with The Last of Us, uh, one and two, I guess, and, and I think a lot of other games are guilty of this too, and I don't know the best way to fix it is, but like in this game in particular, they are all about the loot and the, um, you know, like they're behind every corner, there's, you know, if you really search, there's 
uh, upgrades and, and crafting materials and, you know, bonus items. Like when you're playing as Ellie, you collect these little, you know, superhero cards. And if you're like me, then you start playing in that mode where you're trying to collect everything possible. But there is that weird thing of like, there will be narrative moments where you're, you know, desperately trying to save someone or, you know, desperately trying to run away from danger. And yet the way I'm actually playing is like, oh, I got to check in this corner to make sure there's no loot or like I've got to quickly, you know, backtrack <laughs> because, you know, one general rule of thumb is like whenever you're in a new area, go backwards before you go forwards because there's probably some good item if you go backwards. And I don't know, like, I feel like, would it be better without that crafting element or without the See, I, I think it all really depends on the game. And that's, that's harkening back to that ludonarrative dissonance. Like, I remember Skyrim, uh, Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, is one of my favorite games that has ever existed. It is, mm -hmm. it is this breathtaking, expansive work that every time I play it, I discover something new, and I'm just blown away. And there is a problem, though, where my character is told explicitly at the beginning, hey, dragons are coming back. It's the end of the world if we don't stop them. You are the chosen one. Go forth and, and stop the dragons. Right. And then it's like, cool, I'm going to spend 300 hours just running around doing other stuff before I get to that. And that's, that's, a, that's a problem that a lot of games have. I think The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2, those types of games, I think they get a little bit of a pass because the time progression within the game is still only a couple of days. Sure, you're running around for hours picking right. up you know, collectibles and stuff like that, but you can kind of assume, all right, well, but my character is still on a mission. I'm not able to go and do another mission other than find the person who killed Joel, kill them. So the side stuff is really more yeah. about collecting and, and little boss battles that you otherwise wouldn't face, but you're still on the same primary objective. Whereas with, you know, RPGs, uh, yeah, I've got a whole bunch. Like, I just finished uh, Breath of the Wild, which is, again, a breathtaking game. Oh, nice. Uh, but there are moments where you're like, okay, well, the world is at stake. Princess Zelda is captured. But I really need to know if I throw this chicken into the basket, am I going to get another Kokoro seed? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess that's just one like a pet peeve of mine with with video games today is that uh, this is like my old man rant, I guess. But like, uh, does every game need crafting? It just feels like one of those things that because so many games have it, the developers feel like they almost need it. But like, I feel like The Last of Us Two would probably be just as good if they just gave you the weapons that you, that they were going to give you and they worked at a certain level, depending on where you were in the game. And that was that, um, you know, I think sometimes you can let the narrative drive that aspect of the game in terms of how powered up you are versus the player doesn't always have. I hear you. I think that know? the crafting mechanic, uh, especially from the first game, crafting was hot. I mean, it was just a thing that everybody wanted to add, but I felt that it made the most sense in The Last of Us because you are this scavenger. That's your role in life is to scavenge, to survive, smuggle, to live, and that's the story of the game. So when, when I'm hunkered behind a desk and I'm, I'm quickly throwing together a Molotov cocktail because bandits are coming at me, that felt great. I love those moments. Those were intense and, and scary. And I think that in The Last of Us 2, yeah, there are moments that are like, okay, well, I don't 
I don't really know why Abby would be doing this quite so much as Ellie, but but they they do give you different abilities uh, so that you can play the, the the abilities and the strengths of the character are brought out by the gameplay. So I didn't have as much of a problem with that. I do think there are definitely a lot of games that are just like, let's throw in a crafting mechanic, see what happens. Like, Call of Duty doesn't need a crafting mechanic. What are we doing here? Yeah. And there is one, I mean, just one other thing, I guess, kind of related I'll mention is that I heard someone else bring this up. I think I'm a big fan of the uh, Triple Click podcast. And I think uh, Jason Schreier on that podcast at one point said something like he, he, he just was laughing at the fact that, you know, like as an example, there's a part in The Last of Us 2 that's really moving and like and just incredibly created where you're in this old uh, synagogue and there's all these sort of things to look at and like there's Torah scrolls and there's a Bima and you're like, wow, this is really amazing. I've never seen this in a game before. But in terms of the mechanic of the game, the only way you can look at things in more detail is to aim your gun at them and look through it, like look by aiming your gun. And so you end up kind of walking around this synagogue like aiming your gun at everything, just looking at things on the wall, which is kind of funny. Like it just speaks to there's always going to be that weird jankiness of games sometimes because at the end of the day, they're often designed to be mm-hmm. combat games. You know? Yeah. That's, that's something that game developers sometimes don't think. How can I, how do my characters look around if not with a gun in their hands? So some games, they use contexts, uh, or uh, controls based on context, context controls. There's a term for it that I'm not getting, but it's the ability to, uh, when you're in a situation without combat, when you press the aim button, you'll just throw up your flashlight instead. I know there are games that do it. I cannot Mm -hmm. think of it right now. I'm pretty sure Death Stranding did it a little bit. But anyways, uh, I I do agree. And that that synagogue scene, for those of you who don't know, uh, Danny and I are members of the tribe huge huge impact on me i had never seen that in a game and it was like the (laughs) coolest thing to not only see a synagogue that was accurately represented but to have a character then talk about it and and say this is part of my faith yeah this is what it means it's like that's that's exactly right that's so cool yeah the character of dino was just really well handled overall and I mean, just a, a really cool little detail is how she is uh, Jewish and has some just really great conversations about Judaism in the game, which again, that's just one of those, another one of those things where you're like, all right, this game is sort of like next level in terms of the narrative detail. Yeah, and Shannon Woodward uh, playing Dina did such a great job. I think she won an award as a supporting cast member. But, oh, nice. but absolutely. It's, I think um, that there are a lot of things at the game did so well that it, it kind of pushes and and I absorbed this hey like when I picked up my copy I played through it in three days so I know that you took your time to enjoy it I really wanted to know everything about this game I'm also very online so I didn't want anything spoiled because I knew everything was going to get spoiled otherwise nobody knows how to control spoilers anymore so I, I went through as fast as I could avoid it big twist uh, I don't know how but I had my suspicions, I think, but I, I, I think I said this, but I don't know how you played in three days because I think part of the reason I needed to take a break at times was just 
it's so much. It's so immersive and yet so dark and bleak that I would just come off of playing it for a couple hours and be like, oh my God, I got to like walk outside. There were a couple of key moments that I had to walk away where the game itself had basically said, look, this is the most intense thing you will ever see in a video game. Why don't you, why don't you have a minute and, uh, and then come back when you're ready. <laughs> but so I think that's a good segue of, cause, cause for me, the moment where I was almost kind of angry at first, I don't know if angry is the right word, but I just was, I just kind of put my controller down and I was like, I need to take a break from this was that middle of the game uh, surprise or transition where so basically you've been playing as Ellie and you finally catch up to Abby, who is one of the main people responsible for killing Joel and who you've been hunting down for most of the game to that point. And Ellie is sort of like holding her at gunpoint and you're not sure what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it cuts to you're playing as Abby now and you're playing as Abby sort of leading up to this moment in the couple days beforehand. And for me, it was just like, so it was incredibly jarring because the game had made you hate Abby so effectively that you just, for me, I like did not want to play as her. I was like, there's no way I could possibly do this and feel good about it. But I think ultimately the game showed its true genius by making me like Abby almost as much as Ellie. And by the end of the game, I was actively rooting for Abby, which is crazy. I mean, it's a complete match. I agree. I think that that. that's a lot of people had an issue with it. And I think one of the biggest things is um, you have played this game. You have in every turn. Ellie tells you, I hate this person. And you start to internalize it. They also do a very common trick within video games, which is you get close and you can't do anything, or they give you uh, an unkillable boss, or they put you in a situation where you aren't able to take the shot that you want to take. It's it's to make you feel frustrated as a gamer so that when you get your shot, you're going to be able to go at them ten times as hard. Uh, I think Metal Gear Revengeance did this a little bit too much, but I still love that game. But anyway, so you get to the point where you, you as Ellie have just committed a horrible crime. You killed people who you hated, but then you started to suddenly realize the cost. And uh, spoiler alert, and this is also kind of a, a content warning, you kill a pregnant woman who is very, very pregnant. And it is graphic, and it is horrifying. You also kill a dog, which is very affecting to a lot of people. I don't like games where you have to kill dogs, but hey, you know, yeah. killing a pregnant woman is a little bit above that. We should, we should at least uh, honor human life. But anyways, it's a horrifying moment. And the game doesn't tell you you did a right thing. In fact, they explicitly sit in the moment to let you know you just did the wrong thing. As the main character, you, you're in a cutscene. You didn't even have a choice, but it, it makes you feel really conflicted. And then you go into this moment where your friend gets shot in front of you. Uh, Tommy, who is Joel's brother, is at gunpoint. And there's Abby, the person you have been hunting this whole time. And then the game says, all right, now we're going to play as Abby. It's a really jarring switch. And I think that it was a little too yeah. jarring. 
But I think that the choice to do it was genius. I think it's a really smart, creative choice. And I understand why people are frustrated. I absolutely get that. But I think that the point of the game is made over the next three days as Abby. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes a while to pay off because even in those first, you know, couple hours as Abby, I still didn't like her because, I mean, not even just that you had been trained to hate her from the earlier part of the game, but, you know, Ellie, we have this history with, and you know her as, I mean, she's almost like this girl next door, like she's sort of just someone who we've been trained to be very protective of. Her character is very likable, even for all the bad things she does, insofar as she, you know, plays the guitar. She's got this, like, girlfriend that we like. Um, you know, we've seen her whole history, and we know she's been through all these things and has come out on top and, you know, is living her life. And then you go to Abby, who, from what we see at first, she, like, is part of this very uh, brutal kind of group of people. Um, they all kind of have this like broy sort of like uh, vibe to them, and they're much more. They're not Ellie at all. Like um, they're they're a less immediately likable group of people from the beginning. And Abby herself seems just like very gruff and very um, you know uh, not as she doesn't have that same personality like Ellie does. But then it's only over time where, you know, they introduce this character of Lev, who Abby sort of has this relationship with, where she takes him under uh, her wing. And, and over time, all these different things happen, and you see different flashbacks as well, where you're like, oh, wait, Abby is really interesting, and I do like her, and... It's kind of yes. I think that, that the journey that Lev and Abby go on mirrors Joel and Ellie from the first game, and that's an intentional choice to make you relate to those muscle memory and and really connect with them. And I, I think that God, it's hard because that opening bit where you start to play as Abby, you are frustrated, but then by the end of the game, I'm just like you. I was kind of rooting for Abby, and I'm like, damn it, Ellie get over yourself, get over all of this. Like she's still a person. She's still going through the same pain as you. And that's the point of the game. Uh, and I think that that's, that's a problem for, for some people who were expecting a different type of gaming experience, but you, we have to be able to, as gamers, as uh, people who are appreciating the art created by these developers, we have to be able to accept that this is still their art that they created the journey that they felt was true to the characters, to the, to the, uh, the IP, and we are along for the ride. So we don't own it. We don't get to tell them, oh, well, you yeah. should have done this, you should have done that. Yeah, well, make your own game. But this is the game that was made, and <laughs> love it or not, it is a very, very important and breathtaking work of, of the gaming genre. And I think, you know, the other thing that has to be said just about the Abby section is that even just like the narrative aside, there is this sequence after you're several hours into it. I feel like you, there's this, there's a couple sequences in a row where like you sort of infiltrate this hotel, I believe, and then you're sort of in this hospital. And then in between, there's this section where you're with Lev and you're sort of 
um, walking along this bridge that's super high up and Abby has a fear of heights. And it's just like these three incredible uh, areas in a row that have just some incredible gameplay um, and are so uh, mind-blowing to play through. And very there's some parts that are like really creepy. Um, you know, there's some amazing combat. And they just through that alone, they sort of went well, the, over in the aspect. The vertigo aspect, I think, is one of the most incredible gameplay mechanics I had ever seen. Because I didn't know that that was a thing. I was walking with Abby, and Lev was jumping over some rocks. And I looked down just to get a sense of what I needed to be to jump. Because even though this isn't really a platformy game, like, yeah, there's some climbing here and there, but it's, it's pretty much on rails. But the first time you look down, even the smallest distance, and all of a sudden, the screen shakes, and Abby starts holding herself and shivering, and the sound changes, and it's it's all organic. It's not a cutscene. It's happening because your character is going through something, and it immediately made me connect with her. Because I don't have, like, vertigo, but I don't love heights. I've definitely had those moments, and... That's a huge thing. That was such an incredible character moment that I, I thought was really, really well done. Um, yeah, no, it's so funny. Like you saying that just reminded me of, I mean, Naughty Dog really is the masters of this or are the masters of this where I think about Uncharted 2 where they did such a good job of like Nathan Drake would react to all these like jumps and being high up and he would have these little reactions that were very human to everything you did. And it would sort of really help you help win you over to that character. And I think with Abby, they really played that up too. It was sort of like this bag of tricks that they were unleashing on, on her to make you relate to her more. And it's kind of crazy. When you there was a moment from Uncharted 2, which I think everyone kind of agrees is one of the best games ever made where you're going past a fire in a very, it's like a snowstorm and there's, there's a train that's on fire. And as you walk past it, Nathan held up a hand to block his face from the heat. And it was such a small thing to have mm -hmm. built into a game that your character reacts to the environment. But it was, was mind-blowing. I'd never seen anything like it. And since then, games have started to, to really do stuff like that. Naughty Dog is infamous for those types of little details. Obviously, the first Uncharted was huge for clothes getting wet. It, it was one of the first games where your clothes got wet. And it wasn't just that yeah. they got wet, but they only got wet where water touched them. And then they would dry realistically. And then in the second game, it mm -hmm. was snow. It was the most realistic snow. The third game, it was sand. The fourth game, it was the difficulties of long-term marriages. I mean, like, they really, really worked out some incredible things. And then in Last of Us 2... My God, there's so many things that they did that are innovative uh, as hell just in terms of small gameplay additions. Breaking windows, throwing ropes. Um, oh, yeah. Just the fact that every character you came up against has a name and everybody knows it and everybody calls it out when they can't find people. Uh, it's little things like that that make the world real. And that can also work against them sometimes. I definitely... Yeah, I definitely broke a lot of car windows while playing this game just because the sound of smashing the window. Yeah, was so that never got on. That was always one of my favorite things. But, yeah. Or also mm -hmm. smashing a vending machine was a really good one. 
Um, but yeah, no, it's funny. Like I remember when I first played the original Uncharted, I was so blown away by that water, like wet mechanic that I would just like, as Nathan Drake kind of, you'd walk through like the puddles or whatever, just to see that graphic effect. Cause it was so incredible. Um, and I feel like in this game, though, there was one moment towards the end where you're on a beach as Ellie sort of in the epilogue and the, the waves crashing on the beach, I mean, I had never seen anything that looked that realistic in terms of waves in a game like that. I mean, I know we're already sort of on to, like, the new systems, and I don't have a PS. But Sony, if you want to sponsor this like, podcast, the we are artist. willing. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure, like, I have, like, there's more to come that will blow me away, but even given that this was PS4, it's like the artistry of the graphics is just unprecedented. I mean, I think that has to be said, you know, about the game. Oh, the absolutely. That, and that incredible. scene, you could skip it and not even know it. It is, it's such a small moment because you're, you're, hey, you're on the hunt, you got to get moving. But if you just stop and look at what must have taken hours and hours of work for, uh, for a, a developer to put together... And that's what I love about Naughty Dog is that they're, they never do half measures. They're always going for the big swing. And it, it really makes the difference. Like you can really get a sense of your characters and the environment just by the amount of work they put into it. And by the way, like the facial expressions, I feel like Naughty Dog has always been good at this, but they keep getting better every game. And I think, by the way, we didn't really talk about the Last of Us uh, Left Behind. Yes. Uh, it's called Left Behind, right? Yeah, that um, is sort of like the prequel mini game that they put out a while back, um, which is just an incredible like bit of narrative storytelling about like a younger Ellie and her sort of, uh, you know, like an early moment in her childhood that was very influential on her. But like, I feel like that game just had these incredible moments of like character acting where you had never seen anything like that in a game. And then that is extended, I think into the last of us Two, where just like the facial animations and the acting of the characters and the voice acting. I Absolutely. mean, it's really, it really well, uh, raises the bar. Left right Behind there. was a great, a great example of limited storytelling because it, it connects it, it, yeah. I wouldn't say that it was an unnecessary game because there were a lot of things that I, I freaking love about it, but it told a story that just happens in the middle of a game while also filling in little bits and pieces about the character. Like mm -hmm. That is how we know canonically that, that Ellie is, uh, is a lesbian, that she, she discovered that about herself mm -hmm. uh, while on a little bit of a misadventure with, uh, with one of her childhood friends that Hey, tragically also turns out to be the day that she finds out she's immune. Uh, but yeah, like right. the, the facial right. animation, they've been killing um, it since the first Uncharted, but this is, this is above and beyond. And that's another part of uh, when you are playing as Ellie and you're killing all of these people uh, that, you know, it's horrifying. It's, it's scary. It's sad. You shouldn't. I, I think the game developers even want it that you, you shouldn't like it. You shouldn't enjoy it. Even though the gameplay is tight and fun and interesting and inventive, you should still be like, I 
don't want to kill everybody in this in this gameplay area. I want to get to where I need to go and, and leave as many of them as possible because you start to realize it does take a toll on you. Yeah, totally. And I guess on that note, um, I wanted to ask you about the ending of the game, which I don't know. I, so, I mean, like I said, you know, you're playing as Abby and it's sort of brilliantly done where uh, the, the narrative of Abby takes you right back to the moment where you left off and Ellie ambushes you. But by that point, you now care so much more about Abby and you realize that there's this whole other backstory to her and, you know, Lev has been introduced. There's so much more context. The entire moment is now recontextualized based on you having played as Abby. And so it's this incredible payoff. However, then you're sort of back to being Ellie and there's an epilogue. And, you know, the, the ending of the game, the very ending is that Ellie goes back to this farm she had been living on with Dina. She had sort of had PS, uh, um, post-traumatic stress disorder and was having this urge to find Abby still and basically kill her. And so she sneaks off and goes on this one last quest to find and kill Abby only to find that Abby has been actually kidnapped herself by this really terrible group of people. There's sort of a final confrontation with Abby where Ellie chooses not to kill her. She brutalizes her, but lets her go, goes back to the farm where she had been living with Dina and Dina's baby, and Dina has left, and... She, you know, she had warned Ellie not to go and do this. And now Ellie is sort of alone. Her life is arguably just in tatters. And she's lost, like, whatever kind of, you know, sense of goodness and moral compass that she once had. And it's a very, very dark, depressing, bleak ending, which I was not necessarily expecting. I thought there would be some measure of hope at the end of the game, but... So it left me kind of feeling like unsure. What I, to think. I, I realized what you think about when you first get to the farm, um, right before the act three, I guess it would really be an act four turn. Uh, but right before when you're on the farm with Dina and Ellie and it seems kind of sweet and there's these great moments, but then you have probably one of arguably one of the best examples of PTSD ever put to a video game where you're in the barn the barn door slams shut, and all of a sudden, Ellie is thrown back into the absolute worst day of her life, watching Joel get murdered. And it's horrifying, and it's brutal, and it's very realistic. Uh, and, and then you realize this isn't over. And what's coming next is going to be worse than anything else, because... If Ellie can't let this go, it's going to consume her. And spoiler alerts, it does. Uh, you you go on this mission of vengeance, this final yeah. turn, and when when Ellie arrives in, um, I want to say she's in Santa Barbara, she is emaciated. She has given up every ounce of herself to be in on this quest. And then by the time she finishes and she's 
beaten the life out of Abby, and Abby is literally bitten off two fingers from her hand. Ellie is, Ellie is broken. There's nothing left of her. Yeah. And so when she lets Abby go, I, I think a part of it is she realizes that this is a cycle and that if she doesn't break it, then there, it will never end. This will just continue. More people will get hurt. More families will be destroyed. And she finally is able to break that cycle in not early enough. I mean, it still costs her everything. But I think that's on purpose. I think that's part of what this story was meant to be. Now, is it bleak? Oh, you're damn right. It's bleak. This is a really dark story, but not, hey, you know what one of the darkest moments in my childhood was? Hey, Mario, so sad. Your princess is in another castle. Not every game has a happy ending. Just like not life doesn't always have a happy ending. And the journey that she was on shouldn't have been rewarded. And I think that that's a brave thing for the developers to, to put out there. Like if you look at God of War, yeah, he is a monster. Kratos has, has literally killed his father. He has done horrible, horrible things, and he knows it. So on this journey with his son to scatter the ashes of maybe the only person he's ever truly been able to connect with, he knows that he deserves the punishment that's coming at him. And that's why he's constantly telling his son, we have to break that cycle. Because I deserve what's coming to me, but you don't have to follow. Yeah. Well, I think part of me was sort of expecting, and maybe I was just completely making this up, but I guess I kept thinking there was going to be this hopeful ending where Ellie ends up saving Abby from these guys who have kidnapped her. They sort of kick ass together. And not that they become friends, but they sort of have that moment of like mutual understanding. And Ellie goes back and lives a good life with Dina. And maybe that was completely like not something I should have been expecting. But I think because, like I said before, the, the, the tone of The Last of Us, in my mind, was often like super bleak, but also with a ray of hope. Um, I was still waiting for that ray of hope at the end here, and it was very jarring to me when it didn't come. And so it's interesting, like, I could see there being a third game that maybe does give you a little bit more of a happy ending, but uh, if this truly was the end of the franchise, I mean, man, it would just be such a bleak ending that I don't know exactly what you take away from it. Um, so I feel like we can't truly comment on it until we know if this is the end of the franchise or not. But well, is, I, I man, don't think that this is the end. I, don't know what I, think. Um, I think that the last of us ended in such a way that it was open to a sequel. And I mean, by God, did they go for it with this one, but even the, the original last of us, it was yeah. a positive ending but I wouldn't necessarily – actually, no, I would say it's a happy ending, but I wouldn't necessarily say it was a good ending. Uh, Joel does some very, very, very bad things and dooms humanity, and, uh, and now we all have to kind of sit with what he's just yeah. created. Um, and then Ellie kind of understands, hey, uh, 
I know you're lying to me. Like there's a lot going on in that ending that is not, you know, this happy, normal video game ending. Um, this one definitely ends with just the darkest timeline. Like sure. this is some real sad Empire Strikes Back kind of stuff. And I'm hoping that they're going to address, I'm hoping that in the last game, in the third final installment of this series, it's all about how do we put back the pieces when all we've known is bloodshed? Like, how do we come back from that? How can we become better people uh, when all we know how to do is hurt? And I, I think that there's, there's definitely a way for them to do that. Yeah. And I hope they do. I, I think they can. Yeah, because I mean, I, I feel like I get what you're saying. And I feel like there's a moment of like, from the 500 foot perspective as a player, you get like the message they're, they're trying to give you of there's a cycle of violence and, you know, how easy it is for people to like lose their soul, you know, in pursuit of revenge and things like that. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I feel like something was a little bit missing at the end. Like I need, you needed some takeaway of like, and here's what it all means, I guess. Um, versus this just was relentlessly bleak. Um, and it was hard. Well, to I mean, know if you listen to the song that, away from that, I guess. uh, that Joel teaches Ellie, you know, if, if I ever lose you, I would certainly lose myself. And if you take that very literally, then if, if I were to lose you, what would I become? And that's really what it's about. It's in the same way mm -hmm. that in the first game, Joel is this loving father and he becomes a monster. He even talks about it. He, the reason he recognizes the horrible raids that the, the raiders were you know, uh, setting up an ambush on him and Ellie. The reason he recognizes that is that he's been on the other side of those raids. He's done that to unsuspecting people, to innocent people. And at the end of the game, he yeah. literally damns humanity to extinction or at the very least a miserable <laughs> recovery because he can't let go of his daughter. Not of Ellie, but of his daughter and of the connection he's forging. Yeah. I only, I only laugh because I feel like we're sort of trained from, from pop culture to, to like not care that much about humanity being doomed as long as like the one girl is safe we're okay um there's <laughs> there's actually a lot is. of studies that say that in a post-apocalyptic scenario there would actually be more cooperation and uh you know people trying to be better towards each other uh just because there's certain social graces that come out of uh horrible situations obviously we have lived through uh, a bit of our own pandemic, and uh, we know that there are definitely going to be people who don't work for the common good. Uh, but in, for the most part, people don't want to be the reason that humanity goes extinct. Um, and I think that that is that is not what Joel does in in his adventure with Ellie. And so that's one thing that I think the game really. Does, or of the last of us does really well is it it gets across the idea there's always going to be the other person uh in these kinds of things when you hurt somebody you've now created a new story where they're the protagonist 
and they're coming for revenge on you. And that's something that they want you to understand is that we don't want to make a game that's that over and over again. We don't want that to be a cycle that persists over and over again. We want to break the cycle. And that's what Ellie finally learns to do, albeit a little too late to save herself. So I'm hoping if they do do a third game, which they really should, I mean, it's it's such a great team. Uh, Neil Druckmann's an incredible game director. Um, and I do want to mention, I, we talk about Neil Druckmann a lot because he's kind of the face of the company, but uh, there were a number of directors and writers on The Last of Us 2. Uh, Anthony Newman, Kurt Marganow, um, uh, Haley Gross, who... Uh, was one of the writers. I mean, there's a lot of people who put their hearts and souls into making this thing come to life. And I, I mean, I, I really think they do amazing work. They did a great job. So I'd love to see a, a third one where maybe it's a little bit happier and we don't have to kill yeah. dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it is, I mean, I think the sheer ambition of the game makes it a masterpiece in a lot of ways where they're attempting to address an issue so big that there's no way to do it perfectly. But just that, you know, they're essentially commenting on video games in a way that I, I, I know some games have tried to do this before. Um, like I think you had mentioned when we were talking about it, Undertale, very different, obviously from this game, but in a way, you know, it was kind of similarly trying to sort of critique back on the conventions of video games um, by telling a narrative that almost in a meta way is sort of addressing those critiques. And this game, I think, is certainly trying to do that where it's sort of looking at, okay, most games, you know, you're sort of this uh, person who's just going out and killing a bunch of people. And this game is sort of looking at, okay, what is that? if you actually create a narrative around that and around a likable character, then what does that mean for the character and what kind of narrative would that be? So there is that really interesting like meta commentary aspect to the game that I think it deserves a huge amount of credit for. Of course, you know, the, the issue I think is that you're still creating a game where at the end of the day, it's fun to some extent to go around and do that killing uh, and so I don't know how you ever fully reconcile that. I mean, it's sort of like just an impossible issue, but again, I give them like a huge amount of credit for attempting. And I think that comes to, back to, to that, that concept kind of, of ludo narrative dissonance is you want to make a game that's fun to play, but mm -hmm. you also have, I mean, you have to tell the story. You have to be true to yourself a little bit. And how do you reconcile when you're trying to tell a story about how violence is not the answer but the only way to get out of certain combat, uh, certain gameplay scenarios is with graphic violence. Um, and I think that that's, that's always going to be a challenge. Game developers really have to figure that one out. I don't think it's going to be an easy thing to solve, but I do think it's possible. And I think that games like Undertale and like Death Stranding show that we can make, we can make compelling games where violence isn't always the way out. And in, in the case of Death Stranding, uh, I think Kojima actually made one of the first games where I was really trained to not hurt anybody, that it made my game harder if I killed anybody. And, uh, and it, it also connected to the game, the, the story that they were telling, where 
You don't want to kill people because the world is facing a crisis of death. Uh, so I think that that's going to be a real challenge, especially for a company like Naughty Dog that is so good at making fun action games. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating. And uh, I mean, I, again, I don't know how you fully address that sort of dissonance uh, in a game that's inherently an action game. But uh, again, like I think the narrative ambition of tackling that topic in the first place in a way that spurs these kinds of discussions and conversations, I mean, how many games can really say that they've been able to do that? Um, so it is interesting, I think, in yet another way, you know, we've already talked about the graphics, the gameplay, the cinematic nature of the narrative. I think now The Last of Us 2 kind of elevates the conversation and raises the bar in yet another way, which is like, how does the game comment back on games itself, which I don't know if we've ever seen an example that's so uh, mm, absolutely. So kind of, I'm curious to see uh, thought-provoking. What, what's going to be coming out of obviously this, this year of lockdown, this year of quarantine has changed a lot of things and has pushed a lot of deadlines, so I'm kind of curious to see how people adjust to it. I'm, I'm curious to see how a lot of games that focus on law enforcement are going to evolve over the next few years as you know, the people who are witnessing, maybe for the first time, God, it shouldn't be for the first time, but they're, they're finally actually stopping and listening and watching these protests and, and realizing that the way that we portray violence in our media has a direct translation of the way it is uh, affected in real life. So maybe we're going to start seeing games that really push you to solve things differently. Maybe we're going to see a lot more cerebral adventures and it's a good thing. I know like it's always going to be fun to blow up Nazis and aliens and zombies, but because they're evil and soulless, but uh, we do need to start having that conversation of how do we portray violence against, you know, our, our fellow, our fellow uh, family of humanity. Yeah, it is a fascinating question. I mean, even, I feel like, you know, I, I played a lot of uh, Spider-Man over quarantine, the first one uh, for, for PS4, and I saw that in retrospect, a lot of people were sort of looking back at that game and were like, you know, police in that game are all like super friendly and, uh, you know, it, it definitely doesn't re reflect the atmosphere we're kind of in now, where there's a little bit more weariness of, of police, so... Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to that point to see how things evolve. Um, I was curious to ask you too, just, so there is a Last of Us TV show coming out uh, on HBO that is going to be, uh, I believe, show run by that guy, uh, Craig Mazin, who, who did the show Chernobyl. Um, and we don't really know a lot about it. We know Ellie is in it, and we know Joel is in it. Yes. Um, I think Pedro Pascal is playing Joel. Uh, so we don't know like what the story of that will be, but what you, you know, think it uh, could there's be a part of me that says I would love to see a faithful retelling, but I think I think mediums work differently. Like you can't you can't tell the same story in a book that you can on TV, that you can in a movie theater, that you can in a video game. The way that we interact with that art is different, and so the story has to be told differently. And that's just that's true about the medium. So we can't expect it to be a faithful 
beat for beat retelling of The Last of Us. And I don't think it should be. I think it should be its own thing. And I think Craig Mazin is definitely the guy to tell the story. He's proven how good he is with, uh, uh, you know, with Chernobyl and then telling a story about the end of, of our humanity in certain situations. I would love to see, uh, oh, who's the showrunner from, uh, from Haunting of Hill House? Is that uh, Mike Flanagan? Yeah, I, I would love to see him direct an episode oh, and again, because yeah. I I don't think there's a, a person out there who has oh, a better sense of horror right now. Uh, I think he's absolutely nailing it. So I would love to see him jump in a little bit. Um, if the show gets renewed for second season, obviously we both need to be brought into the staff, but I, I'm excited to see it. I think it's a, it's a great way for this incredible right. story to reach a new audience. And Pedro Pascal has proven that we want to watch him take care of someone younger than him and run around with them. Yeah, it is, it is definitely uh, not too far removed from the Mandalorian in a lot of ways in terms of that role. But, you know, I, I just was thinking too, like the game is so cinematic and has such a good narrative that at some point you wonder like, do you just sort of respect that and just tell a companion story that's in the same world as the game? Or do you just completely give your own version of the story? And I could see arguments for both. But part of me thinks it would be cool if the show just, you know, gave us additive content to the game rather than like, a, you know, a sort of reboot or like a different version of it. Um, you know, just because the game the game is so well told that you almost... And I, I don't think... I mean, it, that's, doing it as a TV show is a good idea. Doing it as a film would have been, I think, a little bit more difficult because there's so much you'd have to cut out. But I think that you could tell sequences that are within the game as they, you know, in a more expanded sense. But I think it's also a good idea to bring in more people. One thing that The Last of Us uh, and The Last of Us 2, unfortunately really dropped the ball on is representation. There's, there's few people of color, uh, especially in leading roles. There's some problematic elements with, well, it's just uh, a problem with all storytellers from TV to film to everybody is kind of leaning too heavily on some tropes that are, uh, that are a little bit negative or not a little bit that are very negative towards not just, uh, people of color, but women. I mean, there's a lot of things that the game could improve on. And now that they have a chance to retell it, maybe they do a little bit of that. And maybe they explore some of those areas. Maybe they bring in some characters and give them a little bit more life and a little bit more role. And I think that's a good thing. I think when we're able to make our stories connect with a broader audience and and share stories that traditionally haven't been told, that it's a better place for everybody. Yeah, I, they definitely have an, an unenviable task on the show of, uh, you know, like I was saying, since the first Last of Us came out, I feel like so many other shows, TV, uh, you know, TV series, movies, games have borrowed heavily from it, that now they're going to have that thing where people are going to watch the show maybe and yeah. be like, oh, I remember, <laughs> you know, this is just like The Mandalorian or this is just like God of War. Or whatever, but, you know, uh, when obviously there was a lot of influence that the, the original game had 
on so much pop culture, I think. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Like I'm very, very curious. Uh, definitely. The show I, I would say for anybody sort of what story who hasn't played the games before, you definitely owe it to yourself to, I mean, the first one's a masterpiece. It's fantastic. The second one, I see a lot of value in it. I know that there are parts that are very, very stressful to get through. And there's definitely that going to be an aggravating thing where you suddenly have to play as a villain. But I, I urge people to give it another look. If you've played it before and you didn't have the best taste in your mouth, give it another shot. Now that you have a little bit more context about everything, see how it changes the way you play the game. There are a lot of games that are doing that now where they're, let, they're really building on the replayability of them. And I, I think that there is a lot that you can get going back into this game another time, knowing that that's the journey. I mean, we've seen plenty of movies that have downer endings. I mean, uh, Nicolas Cage has started a number of movies where he just straight up dies at the end. Yeah. Sometimes not at all in a good place. And that's, <laughs> that's okay. It's okay to tell stories that don't leave you feeling great, that leave you feeling changed. And we should embrace that. We should be willing to explore those emotions in ourselves. Well, I do think, um, you know, just to sort of put a bow on it, like, uh, if you are a writer or a storyteller or you work in the entertainment industry, uh, I, I mean, I've said this a lot, but... I feel like a lot of recent video games have had some of the most innovative, interesting, and ultimately kind of influential storytelling of any medium. Um, I would put things like, uh, you know, Life is Strange in there. Um, I would put things like, um, you know, um, Inside in there. Um, and, and also, obviously, The Last of Us, too, where... Um, it just is unlike, like this franchise is unlike anything else out there and is doing some of the most fascinating. You know, Absolutely. I strongly urge storytelling. Yeah, play some games that are outside of your comfort zone too. Um, I'm a huge fan of Death Stranding. I know that it is a very niche game, but also I, I've been playing Hades, which I don't normally like roguelikes, but I love that game. It's the storytelling, the the art style, everything about it's fantastic. And it's just so fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll schedule time to talk about that one. I got, I got bits to unpack on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so in the interest of time, uh, I, I think that was a good conversation and a lot to unpack uh so hopefully you enjoyed yeah i mean just two quick thoughts Uh, one is you know let let the artist tell you the story that they want to tell you there's a reason they're telling that story and you're gonna be a better person if you let yourself explore stories outside of your comfort zone outside of your your normal life experience you know, read stories written by people from different cultures, people of color from First Nations. I mean, there's so many, so many things you learn about yourself and the world by getting outside of your comfort zone. And the second thing is uh, you need to learn to separate reality from fiction and not harass actors who were just hired to play a role. <laughs> and just don't do that. Just don't do it. If you have the urge to do it, stop 
ask yourself why you feel so angry, and it's okay to talk to somebody. If you honestly feel that angry that you want to send somebody a death threat, then you need to talk to somebody about it. Not them, but somebody who's a little bit more professional. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I just, uh, you have taken uh, the conversation <laughs> to a very important and profound place that I was not expecting. So marveling at... I've been known to pivot uh, uh, conversations into a deep, deep well. Might be time. the right word. Uh, Yes, yes. But I, I would agree with you that, um, you know, there's there's some great discussion to be had about, you know, a game like this, for example. And, you know, it's always best to be respectful of the creators and um, to, to embrace sort of the debate and discussion and conversation and not make it toxic or, you know, abusive in any way. So hopefully... Uh, the good conversation. Absolutely. And if you want to tell a different story with these characters, write fan fiction, Uh, tell the story, make your own games, make your own content. Like that's a really cathartic experience and you should absolutely do it. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think be creative, you know, do, do sort of what inspires you. And hopefully the game does, inspire you whether if you really liked it then maybe it inspires you to do something similar and if you didn't maybe you'll have sort of your own kind of counterpoint that you that inspires your creativity so i think that's danny thank you for having um, me this was great and on but a second time so much uh yeah so we'll do more yes all right good night Uh, everybody but yeah we'll have more to talk about but uh thank you again All right, guys.